This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week on Fox Top 5, Marianne Marsh. Great speeches do many things. They define a part of our history. And Colin Reed. It's just, it was one of those examples that that you just, it gets you every time. Come together to share their list of the top five best political speeches. Here are this week's hosts, Marianne and Colin. Welcome to Fox Top Five. I'm Marianne Marsh, former senior advisor to John Kerry. And today I'm joined by Republican strategist and former campaign manager for Massachusetts Senator Scott Brown, Colin Reed. Colin, how are Marianne, you? Marianne, it is always so nice to be with you. Always a pleasure to be with you. TV, radio, anywhere in between. And I'm really looking forward to this topic today. As you know, every week on the podcast, experts, reporters, and personalities get together to share their top five on any given topic. This year, we've already been full of some memorable political speeches from inauguration to CPAC just this past weekend. So today we're taking a moment to recognize some of our favorite moments and speakers in politics by sharing our list of the top five political speeches that we think really matter. Colin, you put a list together. Well, first of all, I got to say, Marianne, what a fun activity it was, at least for me, in thinking through this. And, and there's just so many good uh, there's so many good options out there. We're going to naturally omit so many worthy competitors as we identify our uh, our Mount Rushmore plus ones. So um, <laughs> I just really I just really enjoyed doing this the, the exercise of, of pulling this together. Number five. Uh, I'll kick it off with number five, and it might surprise you, and it might be a little unorthodox since I am a Republican, but I am from Massachusetts. And I'd be remiss if I didn't include a Kennedy on this list. But Bobby has always been my favorite Kennedy, even though he was representing New York in the Senate. And I'm going to go with number five, Bobby Kennedy's speech in Indianapolis following the, the news that Martin Luther King had been shot. And I'll tell you why this, this one resonated so much with me. I read a book about Bobby Kennedy a few years ago uh, on the 40th anniversary, uh, uh, 50th anniversary of his, of his death. And the thing about this was... You know, when you listen to that speech he gave in front of that crowd, so many things could have gone so wrong. And it just, the country was literally a tinderbox at that point. The, it was being torn apart by Vietnam and all the divisiveness around it. Uh, of course, in a couple of months, sadly, he, he, Bobby Kennedy himself would be shot. But what I, what I really appreciate about this speech is one, how it was entirely almost off the cuff. And number two, it struck the pitch perfect tone and when violence broke out in other cities across the country, uh, the crowd just disassembled and it was a peaceful night in, in Indianapolis. And, and, and you can literally hear it, Marianne, when he starts delivering the speech, there was no Twitter back back in. He was literally breaking the news that this civil rights icon had been killed to, to people who had no idea it had happened. And I, I, I don't know, it, it, it was a tough year for the country, but it was a, a, one of, just a brilliant speech and just something that the way he delivered it totally off the cuff, I think just really makes it stand the test of time. So that's my number five, Marianne. That's a great what pick. And 
Yeah, it's a great pick. And I totally agree with you. Yes, we're both from Massachusetts. So, of course, the Kennedys loom large. And, and, and given that we're in politics, it's certainly formative in both of our experiences. Um, not to tip my hand, I agree with you on that one. I have it in a different place on the list. But my number five actually happened 105 years before that. And it's Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address which while only 275 words long, it really redefined the Civil War. And to me, great speeches do many things. They define a, a part of our history. They define a debate. They define our lives. They give people something to look forward to. And they do it in a way that gets people to act, to change their behavior, to do something one way or the other. And when you look at Lincoln's speech that day, he redefined the Civil War, not as something of two parts of the country fighting against one another, but he defined it as a matter of human equality, pointing to the Declaration of Independence more than the Constitution about what it meant to be part of this country that we were putting together, that slavery was wrong, that all men were created equal, and that, that we had to be dedicated to that proposition, especially when you realize that at the time, tens of thousands of soldiers died over a three-day period on this very, over an idea of what our country should be, how people should be treated, and how they could conduct their lives, whether they were free or not. And in Lincoln's doing that, he forever changed the trajectory of that war, changed the trajectory of the American experiment that we continue to this day. And sadly, though, race then and now still bedevils us and bedevils our politics. But for Lincoln to have been able to do that and broaden that debate to make it one of all humanity and all people and the principles that we were all fighting for to be treated equally and fairly um, remain to this day and has been sewn into so many other speeches by other great politicians and orders over the hundred years since. Well, that's so funny, Marianne. Your first pick was a Republican and my first pick was a Democrat. So we really we really came prepared to, to, to uh, for outside the box picks. And yeah, I mean, Gettysburg Address, I used to have an English teacher growing up who, who would say if if Abraham Lincoln could deliver the Gettysburg Address in 272 words, there's no there's no way your paper needs to be that long. And uh, it's it's so true, the brevity of it and the power of the, the impactful uh, nature of it all. And uh, living in Washington, one of my favorite things to do is when you jog up to the the, the, Washington, the Lincoln Memorial uh, at sunrise or early in the day, and you get to climb those steps and just be in that hall, and the, the words are inscribed right there, and it's just it's a really powerful one. So, a uh, great pick. Number four. For my number four here, I'm gonna actually go across the pond. I'm gonna go with Winston Churchill and his finest hour speech that he delivered in June of 1940 in the throes of the Battle of Britain when really uh, the, the Second World War could have gone either way. Uh, the country was really on the precipice. The bombings were in, intense from the, <clears throat> the, the Germans. Uh, France had just surrendered. Literally, Britain was the last thing standing between uh, Hitler in total domination of the continent. And uh, Churchill just gave this tremendous speech where he talked about, he, he stressed the resolve, his unwillingness to surrender, and just made it clear that as bad as things looked right there, at that point, that the country was going to survive. And, uh, you know, he went on to, to deliver a number of speeches throughout that tumultuous summer of 1940. Uh, Finest Hour happens to be my favorite. 
Uh, it was uh, memorialized in a, in a movie not that long ago that, that was shared the same name. And I think uh, the, the, one of the things, that, going back to where we started this conversation, later on in life when, when President John F. Kennedy was making uh, Winston Churchill an honorary American citizen, he said he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And, and I think <laughs> that's so true because the British did not have the military might of the Germans, but they had a leader who, who knew exactly what, what he was going to do. And uh, I think that's a big reason that the uh, the, the the course of the war, uh, before, you know, before the Americans got involved, um, I mean, it just it could have made a world of difference. So that, that's my number four. That's a phenomenal pick. I mean, first of all, tip of the hat to you that we could prove that bipartisanship is possible in 2021 uh, by our various uh, picks number five. Um, and Churchill, but for Churchill and his, his oratorical skills, not only saved the free world in World War II, but he gave a steel in the spine of everybody in his country. They, Because of his speeches, because of his example, because he convinced them not to be fearful, um, they were able to withstand the worst bombings and pummeling of many of, of most of the countries involved in World War II. So he, he's a shining example, definitely. So I'm going to pick up where you left off. My number four speech is Bobby Kennedy's speech in the wake of um, Martin Luther King's assassination as well in 1968. And, and I agree with every your analysis of that speech. And the fact that it was extemporaneous was even more the re remarkable given the times that he was, as you noted, informing people that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. But I think what made that speech so unique was he was able to share with this, the crowd there that day, largely black, the pain of having lost someone to an assassination, in this case, obviously his brother five years earlier. Um, and he noted at that night that his brother was killed by a white man. And that while blacks in the country could be upset in the midst of a, a very tough year, um, certainly when it came to race uh, and be mad at all white people for a white person killing Martin Luther King, he noted that he had walked in their shoes having lost his brother at the hands of a white assassin. And I think the years in between Jack Kennedy's assassination and Martin Luther King's assassination, the reason that speech was so compelling was not only the words, but the fact of Bobby Kennedy's deeds in the intervening five years, where he really spent a lot of time examining his life and how he was going to continue in such a great loss of his brother who happened to be the president of the United States at the time and how that changed our country forever in the wake of that. And he talked about the fact that he wanted, he had spent his time thinking about the need for love and wisdom and to show compassion toward one another. And that the feeling of justice towards those who still suffer in the United States, whether they be black or they be white, was everybody's struggle. And I think people took from his example that he didn't seek retribution for his brother's assassination and that he didn't blame others, but he set about trying to make the world a better place, the country a better place in his travels and then ultimately in his candidacy for president in the years after that. And sadly, tragically, to lose his life at the hands of an assassin, you know, just months later in all this. But I think the fact that he was able to stop the violence that night, stop the terrible things that had happened in so many other cities. The country was on fire that night. And to note that it didn't need to be a country of division, that it could be a country that people pulled together and helped one another. Uh, I think that's really 
what stayed with everyone all those years. And you see the footage, the black and white footage, news footage of him standing up on a stage and just telling the crowd not only what happened, but the kind of people we needed to be in the wake of the loss of Martin Luther King was one of the most compelling um, political speeches and moments you will ever see. Yeah, he was part breaking news uh, reporter, and then then he became the consoler uh, after that. So it was, uh, uh, I, I I agree. So um, I, I would just say, I would just say, Colin, you know what? Uh, one thing I forgot to mention in that respect, he and Joe Biden share a lot right now in terms of being to, able to empathize with people's losses, and I think that helped him tremendously that night, and certainly is helping Joe Biden today. Well, uh, we shall see. The countdown continues after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Number three. Moving ahead here to, to number my number three. And, you know, there is the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, was known as the great communicator. So I knew when I started this process, he would make at least one appearance on this list. And for my number three, I will do President Reagan's speech at Omaha Beach in Normandy, France, on June 6, 1944, uh, marking the 40th anniversary of uh, the, the, the D-Day landing that eventually ended World War II. I think one of the reasons I've always been drawn to this beyond just the sheer majesty of the words is also I had the privilege of visiting Normandy a few years ago, and it is such a solemn place. You just feel the gravity uh, of, of everything that happened there when you when you walk in. You know, the American flag still flies there today. And I think that that's really telling for the sacrifice made by so many on those shores uh, and that that began the long liberation of, of the continent of Europe um, from, from, from Germany. And... You know, the, the, I think the, the other part about Reagan's speech there is not just the fact that he was there and just you can see, he, you can even see he understanding like the incredible, the beach is so wide and the cliffs are so tall and the, the, the German, the way, the way they were dug in their encampments, it was just, you just get there and you think, wow, how could anyone possibly have done this? And I think he, he, he captured that in his, in his speech, uh, the Peggy Noonan Penn speech. And the fact that he had, uh, I think it was like 60 or so of the, the, the Army Rangers who were there 40 years before in the audience just made the whole thing uh, even, even that more special. And it, it's just a it's one of those uh, truly you can read it or you can you can watch his, his transcript. Of it, but it's just uh, it was one of those examples that that you just it, it gets you every time. And anyone who has the ability to uh, ever go to Normandy, it's just such a special place. Yeah, it's beautiful place and just filled with history. And that speech was amazing. And Reagan, of course, with the stagecraft um, and the ability to deliver that speech, did it justice, certainly that day. My number three is Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, which most people don't realize it was an extemporaneous speech. Many people thought it was prepared remarks for that day in 1963, but it was he was prompted by Mahalia Jackson uh, the gospel singer who was at the, the event with him and she prompted him to and she said tell them about the dream martin and he for the previous year had been talking about i have a dream and that became part of his way of talking about the civil rights fight 
What many people don't realize is this speech put Martin Luther King on the map, that he became a nationally known figure with this speech. And it was covered by all three networks that day. And President Kennedy had never seen him speak. And on that one speech, he really launched the civil rights movement into a national platform. He launched himself as the leader of it. And it was evocative of many previous great speeches, including the Gettysburg Address, which he used the part he used five score years ago in many other references. But the common denominator, once again, between the two was a matter of race and race relations and the opportunity to give everyone in this country and black Americans in particular, the opportunity to have equal access to freedom, to live their lives the way it was the United States was designed to by the Bill of Rights under the Constitution. It had been denied to so many people in this country. And that speech after it, he, it was clear that, that more people became part of the civil rights movement and that actually forced Congress to move more quickly to pass the Civil Rights Act than would have happened otherwise. And when great speeches have the ability to change the course of history, to change lives, to get Congress to act, which seems harder to imagine these days <laughs> in many respects. But that speech alone really changed, once again, the trajectory of our country, of race relations, and finally started to lay the groundwork of the kind of country that our forefathers and our founders had hoped we would do, that we still wrestle with this day. But on that day in 1963, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement arrived in this country and moved this country forward. Another momentous occasion on the steps of the uh, the Lincoln Memorial here here mm -hmm. in Washington. So it seems like uh, we're we're coming back to the uh, some common uh, themes and threads throughout this discussion, Marianne. And that and that is, I mean, the Lincoln Memorial in and of itself. There's just been so much history that's there, and uh, I, I agree that's a that's a really powerful one, and and, and um, you know one that could be on either of our lists, frankly. Number two. All right, moving into the top two. My runner-up, I told you I'd, I'd be doubling up on the Gipper here. My number two for Reagan and for President Reagan is the speech he gave on January 28th, 1986, hours after the explosion of the Challenger uh, spacecraft and the, the deaths of, of all involved uh, on that. And, you know, Reagan was actually supposed to give his State of the Union uh, that night. And it, that's how it long had been scheduled. And uh, he had to change course, of course, and address the nation. And I mean, the whole thing is just a, a majestic uh, piece of writing and, and he delivered it. The, the funny thing is he didn't think he, he did very well. He, he thought he kind of failed. He knew it was a big moment and he knew he needed to meet it. And his initial reaction, uh, he, he was disappointed at himself. Uh, obviously history has, has changed that. And, 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 and in parts beyond just the, the words and, and, and the prose, there's two things that really stuck out to me. It's, it's one, how he talked directly, not only to the kids uh, who've been watching that morning and had seen the horrific side of it, of it, because this is uh, far enough along where, where all everything was broadcast on TV. We're getting into more modern times now. Some of the earlier things we talked about, most people had been shielded from it because of the, the lack of technology. But this was something that everybody was watching and just the horrific scene of the, of the, of the space shuttle erupting in flames and, and, and everything that went along with that. And, and he spoke directly not only to the kids uh, who've been watching that around their, their gathered around their their schools that morning and told them it was going to be okay and reassured them, but also he spoke directly to uh, the employees of NASA. Um, and he, he he went out of his way to make sure that they got, you know, as I'm sure they were feeling awful that day, and and make sure that you know they didn't bear any blame. And I mean that's just the the final the final words of that about the the, the astronauts. Uh, 
uh, waving goodbye and slipping the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God, which he actually, Peggy Noonan, borrowed from a poem uh, called High Flight, written by, I think it was a Canadian uh, flyer in, in, in World War II, I believe. I mean, that one just gets me every time, and it's just another one that of, of uh, a moment of deep sadness where, to your point earlier, where words can really uh, bring reassurance when it's needed most. Yeah, it's in, in moments of, of tragedy that the country shares that great presidents have the ability to calm and soothe the souls of people that have experienced it. And some do it better than others. Some don't even try. Reagan was certainly called upon that day and some others to do just that. And I think that the space program had held such a gloried special place in everybody's hearts um, because it was mm -hmm. it was back in you know president kennedy's call to put a man on the moon and all the the great glamour and celebrity that came with the program because it showed the united states of america is able to do big things and achieve them and set high goals big goals impossible goals and reach them and to watch that unfold uh alive and i remember it. it it was just staggering and he really rose to, that's a great pick he really rose to the occasion that day i, I have a totally different pick <laughs> for number two um and it's barack obama's democratic national convention speech in 2004 in our beloved hometown of boston never has one speech launched a political career further <laughs> than that speech in 2004 by barack obama who at the time people forget he was just he was a state senator from Illinois who had lost a congressional race to Bobby Rush that everyone thought he would win and he was trying to win a senate seat in that summer uh, in the and he would be on the ballot in 2004 in the fall and he was plucked basically from obscurity by a, a Boston operative that we both know Colin Jack Corrigan recommended him to speak at the convention and I happened to see his rehearsal speech. It's been it's in his new book, but I actually was in one of the Fox boxes at the garden when he practiced and it was it was a disaster. His 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 rehearsal was horrible. He couldn't hit the teleprompter, he couldn't hit his marks. I, I, I feared for all of it. But that night he rose to the occasion and delivered one of the best speeches that put him on the political map and that everyone at the conclusion of that speech said he would be on his way to the presidency, almost eclipsing John Kerry at that point. And it was his speech that really stuck out with people and much of it based on his book, The Audacity of, of Hope, which is a memoir in many respects of his life and a phrase that he would come to and revisit again and again and again in his political career as he ran and won the presidency. But it's the, the passage that where he talked about this is not a liberal America and a conservative America. This is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and a Latino America and an Asian America. There's the United States of America. And that's what everybody remembers from that speech. Not only his delivery of it, but it was a speech that he had tried to appeal to people's better angels that we should unite together to move the country forward. And instead, while he did it that night, he launched himself onto the political stage, to the presidency, to then, just four years later, becoming the first black president of the United States of America. And one speech basically made Barack Obama president. Lots happened in between, but I can't think of any other speech that launched a political career to those levels like that one. No, there's no doubt about it. And you know, I, I think the our political conventions, and this is both Republican and Democratic. It's not it's not a party thing. They've kind of lost a bit of their value and luster in recent years, and people kind of roll their eyes at them as they become more staged and more scripted and more 
not as impactful. But that's the example of hey, you you get this you get this moment. Yeah, uh, you make the best of it, and who knows what can happen. And he, he's the best example of that. I agree with with your assessment, Marianne. I also think, and this is not uh, just him, but it's it's because uh, it's the speech that's most watched from these conventions. It's it's funny or not funny, but it, you see the how young he looks in that speech too, compared to when he's in his <laughs> office. And just the, the the weight the the, the presidency uh, and its responsibilities take on these people who who hold the office. So um, that's a good pick. Number one. All right, on to my number one, the granddaddy of them all. This is a speech that I watch every year. Count it, take it to the bank. Every September 11th, I watch President George W. Bush with his megaphone on September 14th, 2001, with his arm around the firefighter, uh, giving his speech about being able that that the rest of the world is going to hear from us all soon. And it's it's a it's a short, off the cuff speech. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't have necessarily some of the uh, majestic prose that some of the other speeches Marianne and I have been talking about, but it's just an example of a, a country hurt, a country wounded, a country scared, needing resolve, needing strength, and just uh, the, the man meeting the moment, and uh, just giving giving everyone not only in that in the rubble, the, the people on in ground zero, giving them the backing and the assurance they need, but also the country that was just had no idea what had happened. It was just everybody was reeling and it was just a, an example of a leader really just finding the right, hitting the right notes at the right time and something that it just has persevered ever since. And um, so that was always, by the way, when I started this exercise, I, I, that was always my number one, and I just worked backwards from there. And there are others we left out, but there was never any doubt in my mind that that was going to be my number one. And now, Marianne, your uh, numero uno. My number one is John F. Kennedy's inauguration speech in 1961. Every four years, every president tries to match that speech, and we watch the black and white footage of Jack Kennedy giving his one and only, unfortunately, inauguration speech with the soaring rhetoric tempered by the sobering times as the country's youngest president ever. And he shows people that he knows where he's going, he knows where he wants to bring the country, and he compels the country to come with him. And yet every four years since then, no one has ever matched it. Many have tried, all have failed. Some have come close, some haven't come near at all. But the passage that stands out to me in a speech that has line after line after line that we could all recite to this day is this one. Let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike, that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans, born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed, and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. To me, that sums up the great American experiment and the things we should aspire to, and we need that now more than ever. But this was a great great fun exercise it was great to revisit so many great speeches colin i know you and i feel like we could have done a hundred more <laughs> we we covered a lot of ground we covered a lot of different periods in time we jumped around we went across the ocean um i agree we could have done at least a top 100 of these and i don't know maybe maybe they'll have us back and we can uh, continue this uh continue this if not then we'll, we'll continue it maybe on the air one day uh when we have a, a you know another great speech to, to talk about so 
that was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or foxnewspodcast.com. And let us know your top five. Uh, thanks a lot. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.